this morning we're going to look at a specific scripture, a specific topic, and see what the Lord is telling us. We're focused on what's called a topical sermon. There's a philosophy that I work by when I'm writing sermons, and it's, it's keeping in mind it's keeping in mind who, who comes to our church on a regular basis. We're a very diverse group here at our church. Some come every week and they've been Christians maybe their whole lives and they've got a good understanding of the, of the gospel message and the Bible message, but they're here just to continue to be fed. And, and there's others who come to our church who are very young in their Christian walk, who, who might just be starting out. And then we always have, there's visitors who come to the church as well. And most sermons, I keep all three of these, of these audiences in mind as we're preparing this sermon so that we can reach all of the, the churchgoers. Today, however, is a message that is designed for a very specific group. Today, it's not designed at all to leave anyone out, but it's designed to reach the body of this church is designed to reach those who call Paris Valley Community Church their home. So if, if you're somebody who's visiting today, or if you're, you're somebody who's been for a while and you're, and you're, you're not quite, quite sure if this is your church home, um, feel, feel free to eavesdrop on the message because there's, there's some, some great qualities and great, great points that come out of this that maybe can be incorporated into your everyday life. But it, the main message today is to reach those who call Paris Valley Community Church their home church. When we look at the New Testament, one-sixth of all of the words that Jesus spoke about had to do with finance. When we read the parables, one-third of all of the parables that Jesus spoke had to also deal with, had to deal with finance, or dealt with finance, and dealt with with money. Stewardship is something that we see quite often in the Bible, and there's great lessons when it comes to stewardship. Stewardship isn't really a word that we use very much in our modern-day age, right? Well, maybe if you're on a cruise ship, you might hear of a, of a steward, but we don't use the word steward or stewardship that often anymore. Stewardship simply means, it means this, it means to be an overseer. It means to be a guardian or actually to be a manager. Somebody who is a steward is a manager. To manage something truly implies, watch this, that you're not the owner of it, right? If you are the steward or the manager of, of something. Some of us have lived in apartments. Maybe we, we currently live in an apartment complex or have been to an apartment complex. And somebody who lives there, you know that there's an apartment complex manager, right? somebody who you could go to and is going to help you out if you, if you need assistance, but the apartment manager is not the owner of the apartments in most cases. They are there to steward the apartments. They are there to, to help manage. <clears throat> when it comes to stewardship, you and I, we have been put in charge of things that don't belong to us. Fair? Right? We manage our money that doesn't belong to us, that, that belongs to God. We manage our time that doesn't necessarily belong to us. And we manage God's resources that are also not ours. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was given the responsibility to steward God's creation, to name all of the animals, to care for them, but he did not own them. God has given all of us a short amount of time between 
what they say, the cradle and the grave to be the manager of his resources. 80 to 100 years ago, everything that people who were around at that time, everything that they had nowadays belongs to somebody else. And 50 to 70 or maybe 80 or 90 years from now, everything that you have is going to belong to somebody else. We are simply the stewards and managers of the resources that God has given us. It's not actually ours. I want you to see what God says about ownership in Haggai chapter 2, verse number 8. He writes this, he says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. In the book of Job, verse 40, or chapter 41, verse 11, God says this, Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under heaven is mine. Psalm 24, verse number 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. There are so many scriptures that talk about God's ownership of the resources that we have and the fact that you and I are simply managers of those resources. Now, I know that some pastors are very hesitant to talk about money from the pulpit. For those of you who have been here a while, you know that, that I, I preach on it once, maybe twice a year. Because it's an, it's an important topic. And we do have to be careful. I know church experts say, church growth experts say, you've got to be careful with this because people will get offended and people will, will leave the church. But see, if pastors shied away from this topic, we would be missing this opportunity to speak about something that is so important in our lives. Everything that we do, everything that we eat, everything that we, we wear, every place that we go and, and lay our head down and go to sleep, everything that we do, maybe with other people, if we go out for entertainment, revolves around our stewardship of God's resources. How we manage our money, how we manage our finance and our resources that God gives us, it very well may be one of the greatest measures of the depth of our spiritual life. We all know somebody in our life who has a job maybe as a CPA, maybe as a financial manager, maybe somebody that we know is a, is a banker, and they, they've spent quality time getting an education in their field of money, and maybe there's somebody in our life who we would ask for financial assistance. Maybe, maybe we would ask, about, you know what, I want to make this investment, or... I'm looking for a loan. And you go to somebody who would know about this, right? And you would ask them questions. But what if, what if you could go and get financial assistance from one of the wealthiest men to ever walk the face of the earth, the richest person in the world, and you can get financial assistance from him? You can ask him all kinds of money questions. Wouldn't that be great? What if this man was actually even more amazing that he is by far the wisest person ever on the earth now or ever to walk the earth, at least in the Bible. And it's not just because he says that, it's that God says that. We're talking about King Solomon. He wrote the book of Proverbs and he shows us and reminds us that so much of our life, so much of our spiritual life has to do with our stewardship. When we talk about tithing, the word tithe literally means 10%. And it's not really about what we give to God. The lesson isn't necessarily about 10%. It's a lesson in trust. Tithing answers this 
question, and this question is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us, you'll see in your bulletin on the left-hand side, there are some fill-in-the-blanks. I'm going to give you those answers right up here. Point number one in your notes, it's this question, can we trust God to help us live on the remaining 90%? Can we trust God to help us live on the remaining 90%? I know that there's Christians here today that will hear the word tithe and will say that, will say, oh, okay, so tithe, that's an Old Testament ritual. It comes out of the law of Moses, that, that we're, we're New Testament Christians, that we're what would be referred to as grace givers. And, and although we are Christians, and we don't live under the law, and it's true that that was Mosaic law, I don't think that anyone today has really decided that they're going to follow Mosaic law. I don't think anyone today brought a lamb for their tithe today, right? I don't think anyone has any doves in their car that they're bringing in. I sure hope not, because it kind of makes a mess on the stage. So, as the tithe being part of the Old Testament law, it's part of the law with other parts that, that we refer to and we recognize, such as the dietary laws. Christians don't eat kosher. The dietary laws in the Old Testament told God's people that they were to eat kosher. See, in the book of Acts, Peter was shown, had a vision, and the sheet comes down with all these different animals, and God gave us permission to do away with, with those dietary laws in the, in the Old Testament. He, he told Peter, he says, he says, kill and eat. He says, these animals are okay. And in the Old Testament, God's people worshiped on Saturday, And now, New Testament believers worship on Sunday. And we see that Paul mentions in in Romans, in the book of Romans, chapter 14, Paul addresses this. He says, one person esteems one day above the other. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he, who God, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives God thanks. Paul is seeing and he says, if you're going to worship on Saturday, worship to the Lord. If you're going to worship on Sunday, you worship to the Lord. We can see in the New Testament where God has, has set aside the, the dietary laws and where he's given permission to worship on Sunday, but not anywhere in the New Testament does God do away with the tithe. As a matter of fact, the tithe is one of those aspects of the life of the Pharisees, one of the only aspects of the life of the Pharisees that that Jesus actually praises. He praises the Pharisees for their adherence to the tithe. In Matthew chapter 23, 22, or in verse number 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! He says, For you pay tithe of mint and and cumin, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus is telling the Pharisees that, he says, you pay your tithe. You tithe, I see that, but there's other qualities in faith and there's other qualities in the law that you should be doing and these should be important in your life, like justice and mercy and faith. But then he says, you're to do these things, but without leaving the others undone. 
without making a change. You, you keep that. See, if Jesus were to ever have done away with the tithe, he would have done it right here. He would have done it at this point. There was a time when some of the religious leaders had come to Jesus and they were looking to, to trick him, really. And they were asking him the question if they should actually pay taxes to Caesar. Jesus asked for a coin. And so in front of these religious leaders, Jesus shows this coin and he says, whose picture is on this coin? And they said, oh, that's Caesar's picture. And he, Jesus tells them, he says, well then give Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. Right? Everyone at that moment knew exactly what they're talking about because in this culture, everyone knows what is God's. Everyone understands the tithe. To them, they know it as 10%. They knew what God had asked for them. It was common knowledge in that day. Some modern Christians will refer to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 as a basis for our giving. The verse that Paul writes reads like this. It says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. What Paul is saying here is he's, given, he's giving instructions. And some in our culture and some in our church will take this verse out of context where Paul isn't telling them and giving them a specific number. He's just saying on the first day of the week, store up something. What Paul is actually talking about in its context is basically a disaster relief fund. Paul is making his rounds to different churches. And in Jerusalem, there has been a famine going on. And he is doing a collection of numerous different churches to help support the Christians who are in Jerusalem who are suffering through a famine. And Paul has written a letter to churches ahead of him coming in, and, and he has said, put something aside so when I get there I can collect it and take it for disaster relief. So the question should be, it's, it, the question could be, in the, in the New Testament, why doesn't the New Testament tell us what to give? Chuck Swindoll would argue that because the New Testament doesn't have to. Because the, the people of the New Testament time would have understood. They would know. Everyone in that day would know what the tithe was. It was simply God's children. And not simply not only God's children. They would know what the tithe was. But the, the tithe was something that even other nations would take part in. Other people who, who would worship other gods would take part in it. There would be, it didn't matter if you worshipped a rock or a, a statue or, or a river. Numerous different tribes of people throughout the world at that point, at that time, would give the tithe. Abraham was given a time much, much, much before the Mosaic Law was even handed down. Abraham was told to set aside and to, and to give 10% of his crops and, and what he had. But it's more than knowing what to give. It's also knowing why to give. It's not obligation, and it's more than, than simply obedience. It's a lesson in, in trust. It's a lesson on, in focusing on God. I want you to read with me in Proverbs 3, verse number 9, where Solomon writes this. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Point number two in your notes this morning. This is important. The purpose of stewardship is to honor God. The purpose of our stewardship 
The purpose of our management of God's resources is to honor God. Honoring God should be the single highest quality of our Christian walk. We want to honor God in all aspects of of our life. We go to work where we want to be known as Christians and we pay attention to our our language so that we stand out because we're not acting like the others who who are there. We want to honor God by disassociating ourselves from certain parts of the world. We want to honor God in our marriage and and be faithful to biblical principles in our relationships because that is God honoring. And we want to honor God in the way that that we do business, the way that that we work with other people the way that we speak to other people, and the way that we treat to other people. However, some of us forget that the Bible specifically tells us to honor God with our possessions. See, honoring God with our stewardship, with the things that we've been given to manage, has more to do with motivation than anything. What motivates us to give? Sometimes... We might give just because we simply think that we, that we ought to give and, and just because it's something that we should do. And that's not really the proper motivation. And the, the, the job is not to give out of guilt. The New Testament says that God loves a cheerful giver, right? It's the word hilarious. It's, it's where we get, we get an English word that refers to, to joy, to expressing joy. And some give grudgingly because they simply feel that, that maybe... They have to give. It's not something they really want to do, but, but it's something that they, that they must do, and, and there's no sense of, of gratefulness in giving. And then there are some who give in order to receive. I guess that's the, the essence of the prosperity gospel, that, that, that some would say if you give $10, it'll come back to you at $100, and if you give $100, it'll come back as, as $1,000. And if that, if that were, were true, I mean, we'd all want to do that, right? It's just, just simply not, not the case. That's not what the Bible says. But when we are giving from that mentality, when we're giving to get, then the motivation for our giving, it's not gratefulness. Our motivation is turned to greed. So when it comes down to our tithes and our giving, it really does, it really simply does come down to trust. Can we trust God to keep his promises? Can we trust God to do what he says? For, for many Christians, we can give up many things in our life. We can give up our, our language. We can give up, we're willing to give up maybe a, a sinful lifestyle or something in our life that we know is not healthy for us. And we're willing to give that up and make that change. But when it comes to our finance, when it comes to our money, are we struggle to trust God. We want to put that trust in ourselves. If I were to ask for a show of hands, I, I, I won't, but if I were to ask for a show of hands, everyone here who struggled in math class, I would suppose that there would be many hands in the air. Isaiah's just going to raise his hand anyway. Hunter's going to raise his hand anyway. Richard. If you struggled in math class, okay, you know what? I'm going to raise my hand. If I struggled in math class at any time, I know there's going to be some hands in the air. Now, if I were to ask... If you would have received straight A's in math from kindergarten through high school into college, every single math class that you took, every test that you took, every problem that you solved, that you got every single one of them right, I wonder how many hands we'd see in the air. You wouldn't see mine in the air, right? 
So I, I, would, I would say that it's probably fair that more of us struggled with math than, than aced math every single time. I wasn't the best in math. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest with you, back in the day, I bounced a check or two. And so we, we all kind of struggled with that at some point, and, and I've learned a lot since then. But it, it's, it's not something that... that we're all perfect at all the time. So from somebody who is college educated in math is going to be a lot better at math than I am. And I would, it would be easy to see that somebody, maybe if you've got a team of math experts, they're going to be better at math and finance than a, than a single guy that got decent grades in math, right? And if you've got an entire team of math whiz, awesome math finance stewards, you still have somebody that's better at math than, than me. You've got somebody that's better than somebody who aced it in college. But I'll tell you what, you can take this team of financial experts and let them manage an entire business full of finance, but they're still not as good as God is. But we still seem to, to want to put our, our resource and we want to manage this ourselves. How only We tend to only want to trust ourselves when it comes to our finance, something that God created and he put in, he put us in a position to manage and still sometimes we struggle to trust him with our assets and trust him with our, with what he's given us to manage. We make one human error in our checkbook and we're going to pay for it for a month as those late fees come in and, and as those bounce check fees come in and as now you've got to cover this with a payday loan to pay, take care of the next bill that comes in. And, and still, with, with, with our struggle in math and our struggle in finance, we struggle to trust God and what He has put together for us in finance. Our culture seems to be fascinated by what Christians do at the church. They don't get it. There's people who you will meet who will just, just be in awe of the fact that you would give up two hours on a Sunday and come to church. There's people who would just be surprised that you would give up time on your Thursday night and come to Bible study. And there's so many people that would just be shocked and, and not understand why it is that we give money to the church. They just don't understand why is it that, that, you, that you would take 10% and, and you would give it to the house of the Lord. And it just simply fascinates other people. See, back in the Old Testament times, they didn't have to make decisions on what they were going to do with their, with their offering and with their tithe. They didn't have to, to decide whether they're going to give it to the United Way or whether they're going to give it to an animal group. No, they, they knew what to do with it. Their tithes went to the temple with them on the Sabbath. And in the New Testament, the church would meet on the Lord's Day, and people continued. They would, they would give their tithe, and they would give their offering where they worshiped. And our entire culture outside the church, and even some inside the church, just wonder what the church does with all of that money that they don't give. People outside the church, they just simply, it, it's, it's an amazement as to, to how it operates. But the Lord has put this together very delicately, and, 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 he's, put, and he's done the math for us. Sometimes inside the church we have a, what we call a somebody else mentality, right? It says that somebody else will do it, somebody else will serve, somebody else will 
give, somebody else will, will tithe. But the resources in our possession, they're so, they're so valuable and important to us that sometimes we'll say, well, you know what, I've got this. I'm going to let somebody else. But those resources that we have, that we've been put in charge of, not only are they important to us, they're so much more important to God. Because really, they're His resources, right? We're just the ones managing them. I want you to imagine if God's walking down this, this long hallway of your, of your life and there's doors on each side of, of the hallway and, and, and you come to the first door and maybe this is the family room, could look in and, and see the family and, and the kids in there and God's welcome in this room. And a little, little further down the hall, there's, a, there's your work room and, and all your, your co-workers are in there and, and your uniforms are in there and, and everything that goes into to work and God is welcome in there. And, and over on the other side of the hallway, here's your hobby room and, and everything that goes into your hobbies and the, and the garage and the tools and, and, and God is, is welcome in there. A little bit further down, here's your workout room and God's welcome in there because you're praying to Him a lot when you're on that treadmill. He's, and He's welcome in there, but God goes a little bit further down and here's a room with all of your money and all of our possessions and we've got a do not disturb sign up on the front door. Money is that one thing in our life that is prone to dominate our life if we're not careful. Of all the areas in our life, this is this one area that, that we could get fall into so much sin and so much trouble and distraction in our lives if we, if we push God away, if we, if we tell ourselves, if we tell ourselves that we don't make enough money, I don't have enough income to, to give 10%. Or I will when I get that raise. Or I, or I will give when, when this happens. Let me tell you what happens. Is that we've told God, thank you for the resources, and I'll, I'll give when, when I'm comfortable with this. But what happens is, if we're waiting for that raise and it doesn't happen, we've put God on pause. We've just told God to wait for a while. I want you to see what Paul says to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 10. Paul writes this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many arrows. See, it's not the love, it's, it's not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. It's the love of our possessions. And that's the way that we feel sometimes that if we just had more money, we would have less problems. You know, some of the most wealthiest people in the world are the people with some of the most problems in the world. More money leads to more problems. I'll tell you what's better than having the things that money can buy is actually having the things that money can't buy. Money can buy you a house, but money can't buy you a home. Money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you a good night's sleep. Money can buy you medicine, but it can't buy you health. It can buy you pleasure, but it can't buy you peace. Somebody once asked John D. Rockefeller, he says, who was who a very, very wealthy man, how much money does it take to completely satisfy a, a man? Rockefeller said, just a little more. We're so wealthy in this 
country, compared to other countries in the world and compared to Christianity throughout time. We're a nation that has resources, especially compared when we look at at past days in our faith and when we look at other countries. And and so many Christians desperately want to honor God. And and we want to honor God with our time. And we want to honor God with with our our service and with our talents. And and we want to sing and and play. But so many of us forget that we can and we have a duty to honor God with our possessions. I want you to see what Malachi writes in Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 8. Malachi writes this, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. This is a conversation with, with God going back and forth. God says, will a man rob God? Author says, well, in, in In what way have we robbed you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. It's a strange word picture. No Christian today would think of putting their hand into the the, the offering plate and taking money out, but but that's what God says that that we're doing when we don't trust him. I want you to see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. We're in verse number 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I want you to write this down. Point number three in your notes this morning. Our treasure leads the desire of our hearts. Our treasure leads the desire of our hearts. Many people get this backwards. They, they say that where your heart is, there you're going to find your treasure. And, 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 and they, they might have a certain social program that they love. And, and they're so involved. And maybe it is a, a social program like animals. And they love and they care for animals so much. And they decide, you know what, this is where I'm going to put my finance. I'm going to, I'm going to give my money to an organization that that takes care of animals and and that's that's great but see the that's love dictating where finance goes but see that's not what jesus is saying jesus is saying where your treasure is that's where your heart will be i want you to imagine that tomorrow morning you got up and you decided for the first time that you're going to invest some money in the stock market and you've got a small amount of, uh, amount of money. Let's say you've got $25, and you're going to go out and you're going to put it all on one stock. And for the next two weeks, we're going to look at the stock pages. We're going to look up on the Internet and look at all of the, all of the, the, the ticker tape that goes by. We're going to look at the prices of the stocks for the next two weeks. I'm going to ask, what stock are you going to be looking at? Probably that one that you purchased, right? Probably going to be looking at it to find out exactly what is happening because that's where your investment is. That's where your heart is. Your heart is following where you've put your treasure. See, there's, there's something of value now that you have, that you've invested. When there's a resource now that you've, that you've invested in, let me tell you about value. I want you to imagine that you saved up money for six months, you're going to go to this amazing concert. It's a show that you've been wanting to see for years, and it's coming to town, and so you've saved money for six months. You've taken money out of every one of your paychecks, and you've put it aside. 
and you put it aside, and you finally have enough money, and you take your money, and you go down, and you buy two tickets. Two tickets, fifth row. You got some great seats. And you're excited, you come home with these tickets, but between now and the concert, the concert happens in six weeks, and between now and then, somebody comes up to you and gives you two tickets. Actually gives you two fifth row tickets that are right next to the ones that you just bought. They just hand you two free tickets. You show up to that concert, and you've got your two tickets, and you've got these two tickets, and you look, and there's four seats, and you've got, you're only going to use two of them. Let me ask you, what seats are you going to sit in? You're probably going to sit in the seats that you bought, right? You know why? Because you're invested in them. Because they have value to you. Because they're the ones that you've cared about for so long. Sometimes in our life, there are items of amazing high price. People can see is, wow, that's a high-priced item, but it has absolutely no value to us if we don't have any investment. I don't think when we get to heaven that God's going to ask us to open up our Bibles and he's going to look through the pages of our Bibles and see where we've marked in our pages and he's going to be looking to see what we wrote down. I don't think God's going to do that, but he might ask to see our checkbook. He might ask to see, where did you put your treasure? Because I know your heart followed that. I know that's where your heart was, was right after wherever you put your treasure, that's what you followed. It shows where our heart is. See, unlike other places that we put our money or that we can put our money, God's plan, God's financial plan, it actually comes with promises. It's an amazing thing about God. He gives us a plan. He gives us a promise. There's nothing else that you could buy in your life that comes with a kind of promise that God gives you for financial investment. Oh, you might say, oh, well, you know what? I bought something and it comes with a money-back guarantee. You know why it comes with a money-back guarantee? Because there's a chance it might break down and you might not be happy with it and you can send it back, right? So people will say, I'm going to put a money-back guarantee. See, with God, there's no chance that God's promises don't work properly. We don't send God's promises back, right? If God gives us a promise and he comes through and fulfills his promise, it doesn't need a money-back guarantee. It always works. And I want you to see his promises out of the book of Proverbs. We're in chapter 3 again, verse number 9. Solomon writes this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce, and then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Did you see the promise? Watch this. Here's the fourth point in your notes, the final point in your notes this morning. A promise of blessing accompanies proper stewardship. A promise of blessing accompanies proper stewardship. The scripture is written in what we call perfect tense. It means that it is always happening. It's not something that happens once. It says it happens, it continues to happen. When, when the vat will overflow with good wine, it means it continues to overflow. That comes with the stewardship, which continues. The promise continues. The blessing continues. See, there are dangers, though, however, when, when we look at our stewardship and our finance and One of our first dangers is not addressing this topic at all. If 
we don't address this topic from the pulpit, if we don't address it at the church, and we shy away from a third of the principles of the parables that Jesus spoke of, if we don't look at this at all, then we're missing out on on teaching and, and mentioning the blessings that God brings with proper stewardship of His resources. The other danger is jumping in too deep. The truth about tithing, it's not like the prosperity gospel. It's, it's not that, that you're going to give to get. You're not going to give so that you could trigger an increase in blessing that you give to God. It's not turning on. I'm not giving to, to turn on the blessings, not, not for my own reasons. No, God has already done the financial math for us. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that if we sow sparingly, then, then we will reap sparingly. And some people take this to believe that the more I give, the more I will get. However, I don't really think that Paul means that. I think what Paul means is that in God's math, 90% is enough. I'll tell you one last story. There was, imagine you go and you visit a family. And you walk into the living room and there's mom and dad on a, on a chair and maybe there's a little girl as part of the family and you walk into the home and you walk in with a box of chocolates. And you hand them to the family and, and the little girl comes up and grabs the back of box of chocolates and runs back into her room and, and just starts eating all of these chocolates. And she comes out a few minutes later and her hands are, and her face are just covered in chocolate and mom and dad just kind of giggle at her. And then maybe you walk into the, someone else's home and there's a mom and dad and a little girl and you hand the box of chocolates and mom takes it and takes out one of those chocolates and gives it to you and says, you've been so kind to visit us with a box of chocolates. We want you to have the first one. You say, oh, no, no, I brought them for you. And mom says, no, it's okay. We want you to have the first one. See, as Christians... And as God's children, we learn that there's a way to manage our resources. And our children learn from us how we manage our resources. It's not just us as children. It's others in our lives who see us and see our example. The fact that Christians would even debate the fact that if Jews living under the law or Christians living under, the, under grace, who is supposed to give more? The fact that, that Christians would even debate this really does show us something about our heart. See, if we're not careful, we could end up like a little girl with chocolate all over her face. This is the fourth week in a row that you've seen in your, the back of your bulletin. You've seen here what we're referring to as the 90-day tithe challenge. There's a reason why I'm speaking on this today. There's a reason why this has been in your bulletin and in your announcements for the last few weeks. As you know, I only speak on this once, maybe twice a year. But we're starting something called the 90-day tithe challenge. And it really is to put our trust in God. It's a three-month campaign. And it starts, we start today or we start next week. It's starting over this, this two-week period. And it will run for 
it will run for three months. And it's designed specifically to bring us closer to God. And it's designed specifically to do exactly what God has asked of us. God says, test me in the tide. He says, you can trust me and I want you to test me in this. And we see, and it is, this is in the back of your bulletin. We see in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, God says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. He says this, put me to the test. God says, test me. As a church, if we didn't talk about trusting God in the tithe, and if we didn't talk about obedience, and if we didn't talk about financial stewardship, it would be doing more of a, distur- a disservice to us individually as maturing Christians because we're missing out on an amazing lesson that Christ teaches us. And we're missing out on an important blessing that God provides and that God promises. The challenge is that as Christians and members of the body of Christ, that we're going to take the Lord up on His offer to test Him with our finances. And we're actually going to do something radical that our culture looks at and says, I don't, I don't get that. We're going to, to make a commitment to give God 10% of our earnings. Our scripture today, in our lesson today, in our challenge today, in the book of Malachi that we're following, it does, it puts God to the test. When he says, test me and I will bless you. And you're not going to be able to handle the amount of blessings that I'm going to give you. Let me tell you one thing right now. God blesses in amazing ways and they're not all financial. The most amazing blessings that God provides is that phone call from a family member who you haven't spoken to in 10 years. It's that blessing of a friend, somebody who's willing to listen. We can't tell God how He's going to bless us. He tells us how He's going to bless us and He always amazes us. He can bless us in ways that we didn't even think of. And He's got a way of doing that. As we're standing up and we're testing God and, and, we're, and we're taking on the challenge, we're all going to be walking down this road together. This type of challenge, it says, you'll find the form in your bulletin. And I just ask you, if you're willing to take the challenge, the 90-day tithe challenge, you fill that out and you put it in the offering bag, it's going to come by in a little bit. And I'll tell you what happens. We're stewards. And we pay attention to, to our stewardship, but we put God to the test. And we challenge ourselves as we accept His challenge. It'll run through September. This is a challenge that does come with an earthly money-back guarantee. If at the end of 90 days, you come up and say, Pastor, you know what? I don't feel that God blessed me in the way that, the way that, that I interpret the Scripture. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't feel His blessings. I don't feel that promise. You come up and let me know, and, we're, and the church is going to give you every single penny back. 
every single penny. It's a tithe challenge that does come with a money-back guarantee, but let me tell you, God's promises don't need a money-back guarantee because God's promises are always fulfilled and they're always here for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.